the most insidious us and them boundary, from my point of view, is religion. I mean, it really is. It, religion posits a, a transcendental object between you and this other person. I mean, not only are you different because of your skin color or your political persuasion or because you speak a different language, you are different for all time. For what you believe about God and what He believes about God are so opposed uh, that that. And it, it's going to require eternity to, you know, an eternity of, of punishment in his case to work out that difference. It's quite wrong to believe that science reduces humanity, that science somehow gives you a bleak, cold, empty, uh, barren view of the, of the universe and of life. Quite the contrary, science is enriching and fulfilling. We're living in this challenging universe where God has given us a highly imperfect book and, and asked us to grapple with it. But now we have the biblical claim, the New Testament claim to the divinity of Jesus and, and it, the, the necessity of believing in it, and the Quranic claim that belief in Jesus' divinity leads to damnation. Now, which is more likely, that, that one of those is right uh, and the other is wrong, or that we have these competing tribes who were, were toiling in the context of just abysmal ignorance about the, the world and, and the, you know, the, the birth of the cosmos and the, and the destiny of any individual soul after death. So, so I, I'm, I'm given what everyone describes to be the properties that would be expressed by an all-powerful being in the gods that they worship. I look for that in the universe and I don't find it. So I, I, I remain unconvinced. Everyone and. Happy 4th of July weekend. I'm glad y'all are spending 4th of July here weekend with us here in church. It's great to see so many people. Before I jump into today's topic, I just want to let you guys know about some upcoming events that will be taking place here over the next coming weeks. Next week, wrapping up this series, Clear the Air Today. Next week, we're starting a new series, which is really a follow-up to this series. And the new series is going to be about, for those who remember back in week one of this series, I talked about the God I grew up with. And I talked about the different gods, that the false gods that some of us were led to believe and we walked away from. Boyfriend God who's always with us and bodyguard God who always takes care of us. And we talked about those false gods. Well, starting next week, we're going to take a four-week series to go back over those. And each week, we're going to spend a one week discussing each of those, but not now from a negative side, not who God is not, but let's talk about who God really is. So we know that God will not always take care of us and everything will always be okay and we'll never get hurt. So let's, let's talk about what we can expect as far as God's protection. And we know there'll be times we won't feel God's presence at all times and God won't answer every prayer. So we're going to talk about what it is that we can expect from a relationship with our God. So I'm really excited about that. We're going to have some guest speakers who are going to come up here and each one is going to speak not just Bible and facts, but really from their experience, okay, and teach us. And hopefully we can learn together not just who God is not, but who God is. Second thing that I'm excited about is the following week, Sunday, July 16th, as I announced earlier today during the liturgy. We're doing something we've never done before. It's got a very, very creative name. Are you all ready for the name? Okay. The name of this event is Find Out More. <laughs> and when I came up with this name, everyone said, that's not a name, that's a description. But I am. I like descriptive things. So basically, what is Find Out More all about? It's a chance for you to... Find out more. 
Because basically over the past several weeks, I've been so happy to see so many people have been joining us here from the start of this series, and so many people are new to the church, new to orthodoxy. What is orthodox all about? What do you guys believe? How's it different than how I was raised? What does it mean to be a member here? So basically, we're going to go over, and this gives you a chance to just ask those questions. No one's going to try to baptize you. No one's going to try to convert you or cast out your demons or anything like that. Lunch is on me. And we're going to just sit around the table, and we're going to talk, and we're going to answer some questions. So if this sounds like something that you would like to participate in, all I ask is that you stop by the connection table, and you RSVP. It'll be right after the well on Sunday, July 16th. RSVP just so we know who to buy lunch for, okay, just so we know. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, I would highly encourage you, because one of the things that's super-duper important here about this church, super-duper important, if you're new to church, you have to know this about this church, maybe different than the church that you grew up with, is that you don't have to have it all figured out here. And you're allowed to say, you know what, I want to be a member of this church. I want to take the next step with this church. But I don't have all the answers. And then I say, you know what, you're in the right place. Because if you have all the answers, then what in the world are you doing here? We're not a group of people who has all the answers. We're a group of people who are saying, we got lots of questions. But hey, let's hold hands and let's go this direction together. That's what we are as a church. So if it sounds like something that you'd be interested in learning more about, Sunday, July 16th. I'm excited about that. I hope you are as well. Today's message. Finale in the Clear the Air series is titled, Don't Believe or Don't Want to Believe, which we've been doing for the past three weeks, for those who haven't been here, is we are talking about the reasons why, the many reasons why people walk away from God, or walk away from the church, or walk away from religion, or walk away from whatever it is that you once had, and you've now decided, I don't want that to be part of my life anymore. And I have... Those who have been here can, can attest to this. I am taking ownership of this. And I am saying I'm letting you off the hook. And I'm saying it's not your fault. Many of you, some of you it's your fault, but many of you it's not your fault. And the reason you walked away is somebody misrepresented God to you. And someone told you something about God that isn't true. And I'm taking ownership of that because a lot of times it's people who dress and look like me who may have done that. Maybe you were painted a picture of God that isn't reality. You were painted a picture of God that if you're with God, nothing bad will ever happen to you. And then something bad happened to you. So you said, I must not be that being with God or without God makes no difference. You were taught the wrong thing about God. Or maybe you were told that if you don't believe six-day creation, then you get out of here. Because you have to believe six-day creation. You have to believe it literal. And you can't ask any questions. You ask questions, don't ask questions. And you were taught that. So I am giving you a chance. Or a, not a chance of the right way. I'm letting you off the hook. I'm giving you an excuse. And I'm saying that oftentimes, many of the reasons that people walked away from church, walked away from God, is no fault of their own. I know some people, and I hear these stories all the time, and it breaks my heart. People who have been really hurt by the church. People who have been really hurt by people representing the church. And I hear stuff like that, and that stuff breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. Because that's not the church. So I guess my message to you, as I'm wrapping up this series, is, is that don't let something cause you to leave everything. Don't let someone push you away from the one who created you and loves you and desires for you to be part of his eternal family. Don't let someone, something, cause you to walk away from everything because in the end, it's only going to end up hurting you because even though the church may have pushed you away, a priest may have pushed you away, a Sunday school teacher may have taught you the wrong thing, whatever it may be, I tell you this, that I know this for a fact, that the one who comes to Christ will by no means be pushed away. And I'm not saying that based on my own opinion. I'm saying that based on what Jesus said himself in John 6, 37. He says, the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. 
The one who comes to me, I'll by no means cast out. And we as a church, now I'm talking to the church members, this judges us. Because when Christ was on this earth, we are his body today. When Christ was on this earth, then the people who are furthest, the people who are most outcast and most on the, the fringes of society, they loved Christ. They loved to be with Jesus. Everywhere he went, they followed him around. And Christianity, and the very beginning, the people who knew it the best, the people who knew Jesus the best, Christianity was so attractive and so compelling that people were willing to risk their lives to even let go of their family and their careers to be part of this thing called the church. And if today the church is not as attractive, if Christianity is not as attractive, and God forbid, if Jesus himself is not as attractive, it's because we've done something wrong. And that's what we need to fix here, and that's hopefully what we're trying to do here in this series, is to clear the air. So this series, those of you who walked away, this is my way of saying, come back. Come back. Because we want you back. God wants you back. And you, deep inside, I think you want to be there too. Now last week, jumping into today's message, I ended last week's message with a bold statement. And as soon as I said it, people were... And what I said last week, the very end... I said that whatever reason you left God is probably not the real reason you left God. And I said, today, I'm going to tell you what I think is the real reason you walked away. And I think oftentimes the stated reason isn't the true reason. And some people, I'm sure some people said that's an arrogant statement. How, I'm not saying it, I apologize if it came across, I didn't mean it in an arrogant way. I mean, based on my experience, what I see that oftentimes... The stated reason for walking away from God comes after the decision to walk away from God. And that's what I want to talk about today. That oftentimes we kind of make a decision to walk away, and then later we come up with the reason why. So that's my point is, the reason that we state may not be the original reason, and that's kind of our topic here today. But before I get into it, I need to ask everybody a favor. I know I'm giving a long introduction today, but you'll see why it's important. I need to ask everybody a favor. Everyone, do me this favor. I need a favor from everybody. I need everybody to be honest with yourself. <laughs> and as soon as I say be honest with yourself, if you're like me, someone says be honest with yourself, my inclination is no. Because being honest with yourself, no one likes to be honest with themselves. Because anytime I have to be honest with myself, the end result is I end up having some kind of homework assignment. Okay, be honest with myself means I need to change this, or apologize to that, or stop doing this. So no one wants to be honest with themselves. And you don't want it, and I don't want it. But you are a smart person. The fact that you're here today shows you are a very high intellectual level. And you're smart enough to know that what I say next is 100% true, and 100% of every area of life. And that is this. That self-deception always takes us in a bad direction. Anybody disagree? That no matter what area of life, self-deception will always take you in a bad direction. So if you are not honest with yourself, you are not hurting me, but you are not, but you are not helping yourself. You know and you want everyone around you to be honest with themselves. And I'll show you proof of how self-deception can hurt you. Ask yourself this question. How would your life be different? if blank was honest with themselves. If my father could have just been honest with himself, how would my life look different? 
if my mother could just stop blaming and just see if my brother, my sister, if the people around me could just be honest with themselves and say, you know what, I have a problem. Like, this is my responsibility. It's not everybody else's fault. Like, how would your childhood be different? How would your marriage be different? How would your life look different if the people around you could just be honest with themselves? You all would agree that we want people around us to be honest with themselves. Well, I am saying that you're smart enough to figure this out, that if you are not being honest with yourself in this area, then maybe you're going to cause yourself more pain than is necessary. So, sorry, that was my introduction. I know that was very long, but it was important. Everyone needs to be honest. Be honest with yourself. Today's message. There's a man named Thomas Nagel. Anyone ever heard of Thomas Nagel? Okay. He is an atheist who wrote a book called Mind and Cosmos. And the book Mind and Cosmos, I saw it, I looked at it, and I said, you know what, like, just the subtitle alone was enough to give me a headache, okay? The subtitle is Why the Materialist Neo-Darwinian Conception of Nature is Almost Certainly False. So I don't even know what in the world that means, okay? But basically, if you read the summary of it, okay, Thomas Nagel is an atheist, but as an atheist, he kind of takes some shots at atheism, especially the scientific atheist. And basically what he says in this book is the following, that what atheists and scientists accuse Christians of, they do the same thing. Because they accuse Christians, this is what I spoke about last week, that anything we can't explain equals God. So we don't know why this, so it's God. We don't know why, it's God. And scientists basically do the same thing with natural selection. That's his whole point. And saying there's so many things in this world that we don't know how it works, so scientists say, oh, that's natural selection. That's natural selection. He says that's a cop-out. And that's basically doing the same thing that we don't want the Christians to do to us. And he's saying there's many things in this world that are not explained by natural selection. And specifically, he talks about meaning, purpose, and value. That's what he talks about. Now, this book isn't what I want to talk about today. He wrote another book called The Last Word. And in that book, which is much easier to understand, he says something that I never, never heard an atheist say, but I believe is true about most of them. And I was shocked that he was, like I give him credit, honest, vulnerable, humble enough to make the following confession. This is what he says. He says, I want atheism to be true. I want atheism to be true. And I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. That's a shocking confession. Because what Mr. Nagel is telling us right here, that there's more to the story than the facts. He's saying my decision, and many people would say the same thing, there's more than the facts, there's more than the data. There's an element of will. There's an element of want. There's an element of agenda. And that's why I say the following. I don't believe is not the same as I don't want to believe. And I'm taking my life in my hands in this message, okay? I've been nice the past three weeks, but might offend some people here today, but I'm just speaking. That's what we're saying, being honest. I don't believe is not the same as I don't want to believe. You may not admit it, and most people won't admit it, but Thomas Nagel was brave enough to admit it. 
But I don't believe is not the same as I don't want to believe. Most people don't. In case you're listening to my talk, you're saying, what was atheism? Oh, we agreed this from the very beginning. That there's only God and no God. So therefore, a step away, if here's God, a step away from God, you may not say, I want to be an atheist, but a step away from is a step towards. Like you cannot step away from something without stepping towards something else. So you may say, I'm not an atheist, I don't believe in that atheism stuff, but a step away from God really is a step towards atheism. And what Thomas Nagel is telling us right here, which my experience says the same thing, is that most people, it's not that, you know what, I believe in God, and God is the best, and I love God, and then all of a sudden, I hear a sermon on YouTube, and I'm like, you know what, he's right, I give up on God. That's not the way it happens. Very rarely is someone a strong, devout, committed, and then they're reading the book of Genesis, and it says, first day, second day, third day, you say, well, I don't believe that, so therefore I don't believe in God. No one does that. Usually what happens is not that we read a paper on evolution, we say, you know what, I don't believe in prayer because I read this prayer, paper on evolution. What usually happens, most of the time, and this is the part where I'm kind of meddling, usually we leave because faith, God, religion, becomes inconvenient. And it becomes something that I just simply, I don't really want right now. Like, it's not that I don't want forever, but I just don't really want it right now. But I can't say that because that makes me sound kind of selfish. So instead, we come up with reasons to support this. You know this. This is called confirmation bias. You know this. This is how we operate in life. Confirmation bias says that we come up with a conclusion and then we search for the data to support our conclusion. That we look for data and we look to interpret data that matches our pre-existing belief. You don't believe me? Let's talk sports and let's talk politics. Sports is an area I don't know about politics, but I know enough about it to, to say this. When it comes to sports, if you are convinced that LeBron James is the best player in the world, no matter what happens, you can say he's the best. And if you're convinced he's the worst, no matter what happens, you can say he's the worst. And you will find enough data. That's why these talk shows, you're just arguing what you are. No one's listening to anybody else. Politics? How many people in front of God can say that they listen to a political debate and then based on the information given there... They change their opinion. Say, so you know what? I was completely wrong. My political opinion that I've been arguing for all these years, I was completely wrong. This person tends to make me. No one does that. You are convinced that this guy is the same. You're convinced he's the Antichrist. You're going to stay convinced, regardless of what he does, or regardless of what she does, or he or she, okay, not anybody. Nobody, that's why debates are a waste of time, because nobody's really listening. You're only listening to confirm what you already believe. Back to God. For you who walked away from God, be honest, because self-deception hurts you. Did your decision to walk away from God precede the data you now use to support it? Be honest. Did your decision to leave the church precede the data that you now use to support it? If the issue is data, if the issue is creation, if the issue is evil, like if the issue is data, no problem. There's enough data. Like, there's enough books. There's enough art. Like, there's no problem. If you say, you know what? I'm not convinced that there's a creator. Okay. Let's sit down. And you're a scientific. Like, let's discuss science. Says there has to be a creator. We discussed that last week. You say, you know what? I'm not convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. Okay. Well, let's go historical. And I'll prove to you historical documents. Like, let's sit down. If the issue is data. But the issue is not data. The issue is desire. The issue is will. The issue is agenda. The issue is bias. 
Blaise Pascal. Y'all heard of Blaise Pascal? Smart man, mathematician, physicist, genius guy, back in the 17th century, said it this way. He said, people almost invariably arrive at their beliefs, not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. We are all guilty of this. This is not Christians or non-Christians. We are all guilty of this. And do you know why we're all guilty of this? Because nobody, like, let's be honest, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, today, July 2nd, 2017, truth. I want to discover truth today. I'm making my goal to get to the end of this day and whatever opinions need to be changed to discover truth, wherever I can find truth, 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 truth. Nobody is on a truth quest. If you are on a truth quest, more power to you. I'd like to meet you. Probably don't want to spend too much time with you because you don't sound like a very nice person, but maybe like that's you. You know what the majority of us are, the 99.999% of us? We're not on a quest to find truth. We're on a quest to find happiness. We would never say it that way, but that's the honest truth. Because from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed, your goal of your day is to make yourself as comfortable as possible. The clothes you wear, the food you eat, the drinks you drink, the people you hang out with, everything in your life is centered on making yourself as comfortable as possible. We're not on truth quests. We're on comfortable, happiness, convenience quests. And therefore, if we find a worldview that makes us happy, we say that's the one that's true. And if we're faced with facts that say this worldview is actually incorrect, but it makes me happy, I'll fight to the death and say that it's true. And if it doesn't make me happy, I'll throw it away and I'll adopt a new one. In case you think I'm wrong, I'll prove to you that I'm not wrong. Let me prove to you. We're being honest today. Self-deception hurts you. Have you ever been, and I hesitate to say this in front of my wife, have you ever been in an argument and halfway through the argument, you realize that you were wrong. And then you continue to argue? All the time, thank you. Why is that? Like, like let, let's, why is that? If we're truth and truth and truth and truth, it's not truth. It's right, right, right. And there comes a point in time, we see it with our kids all the time, but I'm telling you, we do the same thing. You know you're wrong, yet you continue to argue. Because it's not about being truthful. It's not about what's right and what's wrong. It's about proving my point. What is that? That's want. That's will. That's agenda. St. Augustine says this. We love the truth when it enlightens us. We hate the truth when it convicts us. So... I'll get to the good stuff. If you have ever been in a situation, being honest, where you don't want to acknowledge something that you think is probably true because of the implications of it, that this is probably true, but if I accept it as true, it means this and this, which I don't really want. If you've ever been in that situation, I believe that there's something more than just the data and the facts. I believe there's a bias in the mix. And at the risk of offending every person and completely ruining this series, I would like to propose to you what I believe is in the mix that is causing you to not want to believe in God. And it's the same thing that you, that me, that humanity from day one has struggled with this. Y'all ready? 
If I accept God, I also accept accountability. No God, no accountability. Yes, God, yes, accountability. And in the end, nobody wants to be held accountable. We want everybody else to be held accountable. But we want to be our own boss. We want to make our own decisions. We want to do what we want to do and have to answer nobody except ourselves. So the easiest way to do that is just to claim that there's no one out there who will hold me accountable. And I don't believe in anybody who will hold me accountable because I don't want anyone to hold me accountable. Not because I don't really believe that, but because I just don't want that. Go back to the very beginning of time. The very beginning of mankind. Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 2. We talked a couple weeks ago how not everything in the Bible, we take it literally. We read, especially the Old Testament, not literally in every situation, but we read it in a Christocentric way. So we see Christ in everything. So whether you take Genesis 2 literally, that's more power to you. Whether you take it, figure like whatever, however did you take it, we know that it's the beginning of the story of God's relationship with man. However it looked, okay? We don't know exactly how it looked, but we can learn a lot from it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God created man, and he gave him everything he needs. Fruit, trees, like everything that you need. But you know, because you, you're, you understand this, that with every gift comes a responsibility, like a scholarship. I give you a scholarship, but then I'm going to hold you accountable to what you do with it. And that actually we see that in verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden, everything that he had, and then he told him to tend and keep it. Responsibility, accountability. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Is that harsh? Is that mean? No, that's life. Every area of your life, there is accountability. And we like that because that's what it means to be in a society. That you are accountable at work. You get a paycheck, but you're accountable. You're accountable at your school. That they give you a scholarship, but you have to keep a certain GPA. You're accountable in your family. You're accountable in society. Like, we live in a society with rules. And therefore, there has to be accountability. All of life is that way. This is why. Like, again, not to go too far off track, but those who argue against the existence of God. You know one of the strongest arguments that they make? Not strongest, but one of the most, uh, one of the arguments that they make the most which is totally arguing against themselves. You'll hear an atheist like Mr. Sam Harris, okay, and I'm not taking shots at him. I'm saying he's very smart and he's articulate and he says nice things, but I see some flaws in his argument. You'll see them say two arguments which are counter to each other all the time. You'll say, why does God send people to hell? Why does God send people to hell? Why does there have to be a hell? And then on the other hand, they'll say, why does bad people allowed to prosper? Why bad? Why does no accountability? Why does no justice? Well, <laughs> you can't have both. Like, you can't have both. You can't have justice without accountability. Can you? Can there be justice without accountability? So on the one hand, you're arguing there should be no accountability. On the other hand, you're saying, but there should be justice. Well, I'm saying the two go hand in hand. And if there's no accountability in the United States of America, you can break whatever law that you want, then there can be no justice. But justice requires accountability. And because our God is a just God, there is accountability. And because we don't want accountability, we leave God. Without accountability, 
there can be no relationship. Right? Can there be a marriage where there's no accountability? Each one does whatever they want, no accountability. Is that how relationships work? I do what I want to you, when I want to you, and you have no choice but to just take it? That's not relationship. That's what Adam and Eve wanted. Adam and Eve wanted benefits of a relationship with God without the responsibility of a relationship with God. And simply put, that's not how it works. And I would argue this. Not only that's not how it works, but I would argue that it's not good for you. Do you think that you, being unaccountable, if you actually could be unaccountable, would be good for you or bad for you? Would your life be better or worse if you never had to be accountable for anything? I'm telling you that unaccountable people leads to regret and disaster. If I take my children and I put them in an antique store, I take two children, say a five-year-old, six-year-old, put them in an antique store, and I say, you are unaccountable. No matter what you do, no accountability. You expect that situation to turn out well? I'm saying they're better off if there's an accountability. They're better off with accountability because unaccountable people make bad decisions. That's why a lot of our problems in marriage, by the way, a lot of marriage problems is because of this point, because no one's accountable to anyone else. Here's a husband, here's a wife, and each one just argue with each other. Well, you know the only way that marriage works? The only way marriage works is that there's a mutual third party who both of them are accountable to, and that is God. And I, as a husband, I have to give account of my husbandship to God, not just to Marianne, but to God. And she has to give account of her wifemanship <laughs> to God as well. And people who are unaccountable and don't have to give account or have any responsibility, that's what leads to all the disasters in this world. So, with that said, again, if you walked away from God, and you have your stated reason, and you got your sermons on evolution, and you got your papers on, on creation, whatever it may be, all I'm saying is, be honest. Is the reason the data, the science, or is there something deeper? And I think a lot of us, if we admit God, then we must submit to God. And we don't want to do that. We would rather be autonomous. But here's my question for you. Is there such a thing as true autonomy? If I say, you know what? I don't believe in God. I don't give account to God. I'm autonomous. I'm independent. I make my own decisions. Is that true autonomy? Or is that only an illusion? Let me give you some verses from the Bible right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We all. So whether or not you believe in accountability or not, really doesn't make a difference. More verses. Romans 14, 22, Then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Last but not least, Hebrews 4, 13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open in the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I would argue this. And I promise, I'm not trying to guilt anybody. I'm not trying to, to convert anybody. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just trying to be honest. All I'm saying is this. If you decide that you do not want to be held accountable, that doesn't mean that you won't be held accountable. All that means is you won't be ready. If you decide that there is no judgment at the end and there is no accountability at the end, that doesn't make it true. That's not a reason. You can't say, well, I don't believe in, so therefore there is not. That's not a reason for anything. That's an explanation of why you act the way you act, but that's not a reason. You can't, you can't say, well, I don't believe in accountability, so therefore there is no accountability. All that means is you won't be ready, 
when the accountability comes. Now that's kind of like the bottom point of today's message, okay? As, as far as like the offensive part. Let's try to go up here a little bit. That's the bad news that I just gave you. But there is accountability. You resist it and you don't want it, and I don't want it either. But I don't make the rules. Like I, I just follow the rules around here. I promise you. Like I wish that I could, but I don't. There is accountability. But there's good news. The good news, the gospel, is this. That if you are willing to just start, and I want to highlight the word start, not finish, just start. If you are willing just to start, to say, you know what, I stepped away from God. But you know what? I'm going to step back to where I'm not convinced on all this church business and prayer business and God business. I'm not convinced. But I will step back towards. A step, because again, a step towards is, 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 a step away is a step towards something. So I will step towards. But here's the good news for you. You don't need to like go to summer school to get caught up. You need to like take, like, it's not like you're further behind than any of the rest of us. Because all of the rest of us are in the same spot that you're in. And that spot is this. That we know there is an accountability, but we resist it. And we know that there is someone who, a higher standard than us, and we struggle to, to, to conform to it. So if, if you say, I'm going to step towards, I'm not fully convinced, then I have good news for you. You're in the same boat as the rest of us. And you don't got to get caught up. And the good news for you and for me. John chapter 3, verse 16, the verse that everybody knows if you went to church any moment in time. Is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know the best word in this verse? That God so loved the world. I thought about this word. I think as John was writing this word, for God so loved the, he paused for a second. And he said, I'm going to write the word world. And St. Peter came in and said, wait a minute, world? No, 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 no. Like, God so loved the, the righteous. God so loved the godly. God so loved, like, the us, the people who are with us, the believers. No. The world. The world. The bad? Yeah, bad. The tax collectors. The, tax collectors. the people who don't believe in him? The world. God so loved the world. God didn't just love the righteous people. He didn't just love the good people. He didn't just love the religious people. That God loved the people who walked away from him. And he loved them so much that he sent his only begotten son. That's why, again, one of the classic arguments of atheism is that how can I believe in a God who sends people to hell? How can I believe in a God who sends people to hell? That's a ridiculous argument. God doesn't send anybody to hell. You know what God sent? He sent his only begotten son to save everybody from hell. If you fall into a river and the lifeguard jumps in and says, follow me, and I'm going to take you to safety, and you say, no, thank you. You blame the lifeguard for throwing you in the river? Like, you jumped in. He said, don't jump in. You jumped in. He jumped in to save you, and you say, no, thank you. And you resist him and push him away, and then he gets back to the shore. And then you blame him for you. God didn't send anybody to hell. God sent his only begotten son to save every person. But it's more than that. He didn't just send his son to save us from hell. He sent his son so that we could have an eternal relationship with his Father. That we could be in the bosom of the Father, where we belong. And we, as children of God, you know the children who run away from home? Children who run away from home, they don't need to just come back and be told, you're not going to get punished. 
You're not going to get punished. Why? No, they need to come home and sit at the table and be in the lap. Like, that's what God offers us. God doesn't just offer us to say, okay, come back, and I won't kick you out. No, 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 no. He offers us to be in an eternal relationship with his Father. My question to you who walked away, be honest. Do you really want to walk away from that relationship? Especially when, especially when you're pretty sure that you believe it. You may not want to believe it, but deep inside, you're pretty sure that you do believe it. So what we're going to do here, and I'm wrap up here, we're going to stop focusing on if God, I'm accountable. If God, I'm accountable. If God, I'm accountable. If God, you are accountable. But if God, there's so much more. And don't just focus on, it's like in marriage. I don't say, if I get married, then I have to uh, do chores around the house. And if I get married, then I you know, can't throw the towel on the floor. And if I get married, then I have to talk to somebody. Those are all true things. And you say, those are inconvenient. But that's not what marriage is all about. Like, yes, if marriage, you got to do chores. Keep the towel off. and you got to do those things. But you get good stuff in marriage. Like marriage offers you all kinds of benefits associated with it. So same thing with God. Yes, with God, there's accountability. But with God, there's so much more. If I accept God, I also accept forgiveness. I accept forgiveness. Because what St. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. Not while we were, look, this is important. Not while we were still how we justify it. Not while we were still, you know, mistakers. Or while we were still, you know, oopsies. Or while we were still, I didn't really mean it, so I shouldn't have to pay be accountable for that. That's how we define it. But no, while we were still, I did it on purpose. I hurt this person on purpose. There's forgiveness for that. While we were still, I want nothing to do with God. And I take ownership of that. Is there forgiveness? There's forgiveness for that. There's second chances. There's mercy. There's grace. Number two, there is help. That God does not just send us alone in this world and say, good luck, I'll see you at the finish line. No, 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 no. He sent not only his son, he sent his spirit to live inside of us. And that we can now cast all our care upon him for he cares for us. And he doesn't just say, make it to there by the end and, and don't call it. He says, you know what? I'm going to be with you every single step of the way. And you need guidance, I'll guide you. You need support, I'll support you. You need blessing, I'll bless you. You need a word of truth, I'll give you a word of truth. Because I'm not just a manual. I am a personal trainer who's inside you. There's help when there's God. And third, and I don't know how to say this, but I think some of you will really understand. This will hit home with some of you. There's peace. There's rest. You know what I really want to write up on the screen, but I didn't know how to put it in words? There is, because uh, a lot of us are lacking that peace inside because we're battling, we're fighting. We're not at peace, we're not at rest. And all that doesn't need to be. St. Paul. Once upon a time, St. Paul, before he was a saint, before he was even a believer, St. Paul had walked away from God. And he had walked away from God basically like exactly what we're talking about because of a misconception. He was led to believe that God was a certain way, all right, and he was kind of living, but he missed the real deal on God. And he was walking not only away from God, but man, he was killing anybody that would walk towards God. 
and he had made his goal to wipe out Christians from the face of the planet. Like these guys on YouTube, man, they're nothing compared to what St. Paul was. Like he, number one mission in life, erase Christianity and Christians from the face of the planet. And then one day, he's walking down a road to Damascus and he sees a bright light, knocks him off his horse. And he hears a voice. And the voice says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What did I do to you? Why are you so angry? Why is it that you hate me so much? And sometimes, as a loving father, what Jesus does is he blinds you to open your eyes. And those who attended membership group, membership group know that's a very personal story for me. Something very much I, I believe in very strongly. That sometimes life kind of hits you in the face. Life hits you in the face, which is really Jesus punching you in the face. Blindsiding you, hitting you like a truck when you weren't re ready. But it's out of love to say, why? And then Jesus said the following to him. Acts chapter 9, verse 5. He said, I am Jesus. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Do you all know what that expression means? Goads was like a spike thing, like a ball, a big ball with like these metal spikes. So you can imagine if you touch a spike, it hurts. If you kick a spike, it really hurts. So the expression was, like it was an it was a, 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 a expression they would say, hard to kick against the goads. A, common, uh, a modern way would be like, like ramming your head into a wall, like beat your head into the wall kind of a thing. Like you, you can only hit your head so many times in the wall, the more you do it, the more you're hurting yourself. The wall is going to be okay. The goads are going to be okay. I am Jesus. Why are you doing that to yourself? Why are you so angry? Why you walked away? Why you left me? You're not hurting me. You're only hurting yourself. And I hope this comes across the right way because I promise you I'm not trying to convert, baptize, exercise. Like I'm not trying nothing. I have no agenda in this other than to say if you walked away from God, I hope that you would take a step back and reconsider. Like that's all this is. Just reconsider and say, why am I so angry? Why am I so upset? Is it really the facts, or is there something deeper? And if there's something deeper, am I going to regret this decision? You know, when you're 11, running away from home seems like a great idea. Until you actually run away from home. And later on, you regret that. I'm done. But I have to somehow land this plane. So I'm going to invite our music team to come back up here on stage. And as they come up here on stage, okay, we're going to finish with a verse and a song. And the verse is kind of my, if nothing else, where do I go from here? James chapter 4, verse 7, 8, and 10 says the following. It says, therefore, submit to God. Therefore, submit to God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's my advice to you. Number one, submit. Admit and submit. Admit there is and submit. And just take a step. Just a step. 
Maybe your step is just show up on July 16th, like I said. Maybe your step is just show up later uh, uh, next Sunday. Maybe your step is go home today, close the door to your room, and just pray to whatever you think is out there. Maybe, I don't know what the step is. Open, like, I don't know. But just take a step. And then it says this. You draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Then it says this expression, which sounds kind of rude and offensive, but if you understand the context, it's not. It says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. What he's basically saying right there, I know it sounds offensive, it isn't meant to be offensive. It's saying, stop playing games. Stop playing games. Be honest. Stop being double-minded. Stop saying one thing that's not really true. Be honest. If you walked away from God, if you made a decision and then later found data to support your decision, there's something more in the mix than the data. Be honest with yourselves. And then the last thing he says, verse 10. He says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And what that means, I don't know. But I tell you this. I tell you this. That you know, just like I know, that humility in any relationship always makes things better. Arrogance, humility lifts. So I'm asking you to humble yourself in front of God and watch what he does with that. Let's stand together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for pursuing us even when we walk away from you. Lord, I know that the stuff we talked about here today, everyone kind of hits home in a different place, but I'm just praying that each person here, no one would leave feeling condemned or guilty or, or judged, but we would leave feeling pursued and desired by our Heavenly Father, who created all of heaven and earth, for us. And we know, Lord, it is your only desire to restore the relationship. And, and the accountability, Lord, is for our own good and for our own sake. So I pray, Lord, that you would just move inside of our hearts in whatever way that you know we need and just help every single person here. If it's our first day or our thousandth day in church, Lord, just take one step closer to you this day. I pray this in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. The prayers of all of your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.